Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. NFL free agency begins with a bang yesterday. And not one, not two, not three, but four players that were on the Saints roster. Four players that were either drafted or signed as undrafted rookie free agents. Four players that were developed by the black and gold are getting paydays elsewhere. How do we feel about it? Some of us feel that the sky is falling that the zombie apocalypse is upon us, and that essentially Saints fandom will be an episode of The Walking Dead. Those people aren't here this morning, by the way. You'll hear them in the afternoon. You will hear them in the afternoon. Well, one of the two, actually. The yes. other one has some, some calm in him. Yes, one has some calm in him. The other one is, oh my God, we're the Cleveland Browns. No, you're not. Stop. You're not a poverty franchise. Stop. You're not Washington. Stop. You're the Saints. Can you trust Mickey Loomis? Hasn't he earned your trust by now? Like, honestly. Honestly. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. By Dawson Islow. Of course, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We got a very good show lined up for you on this chilly Tuesday morning. Brett Chancy from Locked On Astros podcast will join us. He's going to join us live from spring training. My man's experiencing spring training for the first time. He's going to check in from there. We'll talk Astros as well as the World Baseball Classic. You heard Dawson talk about it. In the two-minute drill, the United States stays alive in pool play with a dominant win over our neighbors from the north. He said, hey, don't you feel a little bit bad for the pitcher? I said, no, you show those Canucks no mercy. No mercy in this dojo. None. We'll talk about that with Brett Chancy coming up at 7 o'clock at 8 o'clock. Jim Guzzolo, our friend from the Lake Charles American Press, also host of the McNeese Coaches Show. He's going to hop on. Big day yesterday in the Chuck with Will Wade being introduced officially as the new men's basketball coach. About 250 people showed up for this. And I'm not talking about the band and the cheerleaders. Fans, boosters came out in droves yesterday. People are excited about Will Wade will share with you what he had to say later on today's show, and I'll give you my thoughts and my impressions on the Will Wade I interacted with yesterday compared to the one I interacted with about three or four years ago. And then Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us, give us the latest updates on the New Orleans Pelicans. When can we expect 
Brandon Ingram back? When can we expect Jose Alvarado back? What about Zion? What does he feel about this team's chances while the rest of the West is shuffling around? Can the Pelicans keep pace? Those are our three guests. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is always open. You know that. You got it saved in your phone. Give us a holler. 337 That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to begin today's show talking about free agency and talking about the New Orleans Saints. Four players were lost yesterday in free agency. Some were expected. Others were not. And... David Anyamata, you were hoping to retain him, but you figured the market for an interior defensive lineman that can also flex out to the outside was going to be too much and that you were, in fact, going to lose him. So he's gone. In addition... Not only do you lose him, you lose Marcus Davenport. No real impact there. I mean, the guy just didn't make an impact last year. He had shown flashes through his injury-riddled career. But last year, when he was actually healthy, he did nothing. Marcus Davenport leaves to go sign for the Minnesota Vikings on a one-year deal worth $13 million. That's not a bad year salary. (laughs) get to hit the free agent market again. Minnesota's paying Marcus Davenport $13 million. Coming off a season where he had a half sack. A half sack. A half sack in today's NFL gets you 13 mil. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing what happens these days. So Davenport bolts for Minnesota. Falcons go out there and sign Saints linebacker Caden Ellis. Seven sacks, 78 tackles, and 11 starts. He became a hot free agent. It was a contract year. He bolts to a division rival. And in addition to all of that, you also, if you're a Saints fan yesterday, You lose Shy Tuttle. Some don't believe that that's big of a deal. I would disagree. Shy Tuttle leaves as well as he goes to the Carolina Panthers, Inc., the defensive tackle to a three-year, $19.5 million deal, $13 million guaranteed. So Shy Tuttle to the Panthers, David Anyamata, Caden Ellis to the Falcons, and Marcus Davenport bound for Minnesota. You lose three of your four guys off of defense, and three of them are actually going to division rivals, which stings a little bit more. And this is what the four guys did for the Saints defense, which actually became a top 10, top 15 caliber defense by the end of the year. This is what they did. We talked about Caden Ellis. Breaks through with 68 tackles and seven sacks a year ago. Becomes a very good 
linebacker, sideline to sideline guy. Now, he wasn't always that way. It was a breakthrough season for him. Low drafted rookie, was a special teamer, dealt with some injuries, got nicked up a little bit early in his career. Nothing too severe. But really didn't make that much of an impact until this season. He had a breakout year, and Kay Nellis is going to get paid because of it. David Onyemata, just like Kay Nellis was a guy brought in, a draft pick of the Saints. Onyemata's been with the team for a while, since 2016. Good rotational guy. Played in 17 games a year ago, had 36 tackles and five sacks. So, 12 of the team's sacks are headed to Atlanta. But Onyemata has also had moments in his career where he's been, let's be honest, a little inconsistent. Marcus Davenport, first-round draft pick, often injured, had his worst year as a pro, really. Played in 15 games, only made 25 tackles, and had half a sack. And you can see the writing on the wall that the Saints had no interest in bringing him back. And Marcus Davenport found someone to pay him $13 million. So shout-out to him. And Shai Tuttle is the one that I think people are overlooking Undrafted guy. They developed him into a good rotational defensive line lineman. He played in all 17 games. 44 tackles, two sacks, five passes defended. Shai Tuttle's a better player than you think he is. But the front seven takes a big hit. You already needed a defensive tackle as it is. Now you really need a defensive tackle because you lost two of your guys. You're hoping Peyton Turner can play and be effective. We have no idea if he can do so. Davenport was already on his way out because he, let's be honest, was below average last year. Kay Nellis hurts, but was he a one-year wonder? Maybe. But the Saints aren't going to overpay. And here's the other thing, and I'll get D'Lo's response here. It's a bad day for the Saints. This is not a day of celebration. I understand that. Hasn't Mickey Loomis shown you that year after year, this franchise loses players? Other teams covet Saints players. Will overpay for Saints players. And doesn't Mickey show you every single year, with the exception of Katrina year, where the one of the worst natural disasters in our country's history happened to occur and directly impact the city of New Orleans, that Mickey Loomis is going to put a competitive team on the field? Even when they go 7-9, and nine, those years they're competitive, right? Even last year, when they had Andy Dalton as the quarterback and Alvin Kamara was a shell of himself and they had kickers missing kicks and running backs fumbling the ball and all types of great stuff and the defense not knowing how to tackle for the first half of the season. 
they still nearly made the playoffs. Mickey's always going to put together a competitive team. Always. So, yeah, it sucks that you lost Shy Tuttle and Kay Nellis and David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport. Maybe not so much Davenport. But it sucks that you got four guys poached literally as free agency begins. But you did get Derek Carr, right? You got Jameis Winston coming back to be a backup, which is actually a good thing, by the way. I think that's not, that's not a bad thing. You got Michael Thomas, who is happy and apparently has been talking the ear off of David Carr. We'll talk about that later on today's show. Do you really believe that these four players are going to keep you from being competitive? Do you really believe that Mickey Loomis doesn't know what he's doing? That he's not going to field a competitive team? Do we really believe this? Is this a thing? No, it's not. Okay. It's fine. Everybody needs to relax. Thank All you. four of these guys can be found fairly easily. You may already have Caden Ellis's replacement already on the roster in Jackson. From now, App State. ironically, I think Ellis is the hardest to replace of the four, uh, just because the Saints, look, the Saints have had a little bit of sh- trouble at times. Stephon Anthony comes to mind. Um, just trying to plug and play, you know, at times first-round def- uh, linebackers. So, look. It, it, but do Kane they, Ellis was a late-round guy. Yeah, no, you, you can developed. find these guys. Okay? There we go. And Shy Tuttle, look, he made one great stiff arm on Matt Ryan, and that's it. I mean, the guy... He had production last year because he played every game and everybody else was out. So yeah, he yeah. has a couple of numbers, but I don't. I don't think. I think you can find a guy like Shy Tuttle, not even in the first or second round of this draft, um, or especially in free agency if you go and get an experienced guy. Now he's been a great stopgap guy for them the last. Yeah, he's years. a depth yes. guy, but he's not. Uh, he's not going to change not a Pro Bowl what starter. you're doing. No. Okay, um, Davenport again. In the perfect scenario, you'd have, you'd have tried to bring him back and make this work, but we've seen that before. And look, if he goes off and is productive elsewhere, it's just like Trey Hendrickson. You can't blame the Saints front office for not trying to pursue that, especially at the price tag he, he just got paid at. So that's another one. Um, you know, Onyemata hurts a little, but also he wasn't available a lot. He got suspended. He had issues with injuries. Like There I, it is. None of these guys really change anything for me, and I don't under. It, now, do you still have to go out and hit on the guys that you replace them with? Sure, but yes. that's in every position. And these guys are not – you're not going to have to go out and spend a first-round draft pick to replace these types of guys or go out and trade for a guy or go out and spend top free agent money. You're going to be able to find guys like this, and it's going to be okay. So Matt Miguez can just take a deep breath. I know he's not up right now listening, so it's okay. But, like, they're going to be fine. Just – Easy now, big fella. Easy now. Easy now. I'm not even remotely worried. The text on the group chat was, I'm done with this team. (laughs) An hour into free agency, he was done with this team. It's just like, that's that's my, he's just like, guys, you're not Cleveland. You're not Washington. Right? You're not a terribly ran franchise that makes poor decisions routinely like, like now, that, that's that's not what you are every franchise makes bad decisions Kansas City Philadelphia have made bad decisions in the last couple of years they all do it no one's perfect but if you look at Mickey Loomis's track record more times than not he makes the right decision yeah have you seen the guys the NFC champs are gonna lose I mean you want to talk about losing some guys they are gutting the Eagles roster as now, we speak 
And again, I, I know we have to get to a break here, but the only thing that makes it remotely hurt is that a couple of these guys went to Atlanta. Correct. And are probably going to be day one starters over there and are probably going to make plays against you. And that always stings. But again, uh, no. That's and the if, business of the NFL. Right. And if Caden Ellis goes to Atlanta and is an all pro, then like good for him. But I don't really think that's the case. I think he was thriving in our system. As a third option, he's turned himself into a very good player. Don't get me wrong, and I'm glad he got paid. I think he deserves it. He wasn't, but he, but he's not Demario Davis. That's what I was exactly saying. He's not going to go to Atlanta and turn into Demario Davis, and he's not going to torture you for the next five years, you know, crushing your running backs in the backfield every play. So it's fine. The the number three option at linebacker, that's what's going to do it. That's what's going to doom the Saints. Like yeah, you to think we lost LeBron James yesterday. It's fine, guys. It's okay. It's the first day of free agency. What's wrong with everyone? We got to take a timeout. We'll unveil our poll question of the day and talk more about the Saints' free agency, including Jameis Winston surprisingly staying put. That's next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. It's about the start of Saints free agency. Which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? Once again, they lost four guys yesterday all off their defense. Marcus Davenport headed to Minnesota on a one-year $13 million deal. David Onyemata, Caden Ellis, they're bound for the dirty South Atlanta. And then Shy Tuttle is headed to Carolina. Now, Tuttle is also from Carolina, group born in was raised there, went to high school there, so it's a bit of a homecoming for him. So we asked you, which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? Right now, 45% say David Onyemata. 27% say Kay Nellis. 23% say Marcus Davenport. 5% say Shy Tuttle. Let's get to some comments, which I'm sure will be even-keeled. John Paul on Twitter says, I hate to see any of them leave, but Ellis has grown so much in just the last year. The two D linemen, Tuttle and Big O, have been an anchor in the middle of that line. So who is that Davenport guy? Don't know. Have I seen him play? <laughs> I like John Paul's comment. Oh, Marcus. Marcus. Guy couldn't stay healthy, and then when he was healthy this last year, he just was not a difference maker. If anything, I'm almost encouraged by the two D tackles leaving because now I'm increasingly confident the Saints are going to fully address it early in the draft and that's what I wanted them to do in the first place so and I and that's one of the things I said that they would do yeah and is, and, and and you know look my uh my mock draft will be coming out later in the week keep an eye on that and uh, I addressed it already so I already did the work for him so that's okay so did I bud you and I are on the same page about this well we are, we're on the same page of how to build a roster heart on twitter Says, for me, Ellis is the biggest loss, but Saints fans are a special breed, I swear. I've seen them beg for Davenport's departure for years now, and yesterday I saw some of them, same people in full-on panic mode. These are all rotational people at the end of the day. We'll be fine. Hashtag who dat. I love the optimism. JPK, the OD, says, could be worse. At least we're not chasing Falcons free agents. 
and those new Superdome escalators. Hashtag chef's kiss. Hashtag trust the process. Hashtag ghost of Petty Payton. I did love the 28.3 times faster than before escalator signs during the remodel. I think all the guys are replaceable. And I, that's not meant as disrespect. Please don't misunderstand. I've covered this team for a long time. I was in the house for a heartbreaking NFC Championship game. I was in the house for another playoff loss. I've been in the house for many different things over the years. David Onyemata has been a key piece. Marcus Davenport, when healthy early in his career, was a key piece. Kay Nellis developed into a heck of a player last year. T- uh, Shy Tuttle was a good rotational plug-in guy, good depth guy, guy that you need on the roster, right? Here's the thing. Besides Davenport being a first-round pick, which was somewhat controversial at the time, Shy Tuttle was an undrafted guy that the Saints found and developed. Kay Nellis was what? A six-round pick? Is that correct, Dawson? I feel like he was a fifth or six-round pick. He was a late pick out of Idaho, if I remember correctly. Because I remember people going, who's that guy? Why are we drafting him? Seventh-round pick from Idaho. Seventh-round pick out of Idaho that the Saints were able to develop into a competent, good rotational linebacker. David Onyemata was, I want to say, also a somewhat late-round pick for the New Orleans Saints in the 2016 draft, if I remember. If It's early in the morning, and I don't drink coffee, so it takes me a little bit longer than others. Yeah, which is something we probably need to address at some point. But he was a fourth-round pick. Fourth-round pick, so he's a mid-round pick, okay, who develops into a good rotational guy. And so that shows you everything that you need to know right there. Undrafted guy, seventh-round pick, fourth-round pick. The Saints find these guys every year, Dawson. Don't they? They find these guys. I've argued for years that Mickey Loomis and his staff do a better job drafting outside of the top two rounds than they do in the top two rounds. Because they find those guys. Jeff Ireland is a great director of scouting. He finds those late-round picks. They find guys that they can develop and turn into something. Whether it's guys in the draft in the later rounds or undrafted guys, they always find a way to find these guys, don't they? They're one of the best franchises at drafting guys in the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th rounds and finding undrafted guys that become key members of their team. You know what else is going on right now, potentially, if the Saints pull this off correctly, that people might, you know, maybe calm down a little bit? This is the Belichick method, right? Like, this is what... Yes. Now, don't pay attention to what Belichick's been doing the last couple of years on offense, because obviously that would kind of make you upset. But, by the way, we should... Place. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have time in the offseason in the summer to kind of address how insane what Bill Belichick tried to do last season was. But anyway... Only a guy with that type of ego and confidence Gets away say, with it, right? But anyway... That'll work. For years, the Patriots... Drafted guys, developed them, turned them into stars, and when they were ready to get paid, they let them leave, and they signed, and they drafted and signed new guys, and they did the same thing. And they did that for 15 years under Tom Brady. Every time a big linebacker yep. would develop under, I mean, how many times did it happen? I mean, over and over again. And, and, they, and that's exactly the model they used. They let these guys get big, and when those guys, you know, 
turn into players who can afford, you know, who can merit big contracts elsewhere. They said, see ya, and we drafted a new guy, and then we paid him a rookie salary, and we turned him into an all-pro player again. Now, is Dennis Allen Bill Belichick? No, I'm not saying he is. But the Saints have had a pretty good run of doing some similar things, right? So Mm -hmm. give him a chance, especially at those positions. Now, they've struggled at times, like in the secondary, kind of developing guys at times, and and this... You know, for the first time, the cornerback position actually seems like a, a position of depth as opposed to a position of scarcity. So we'll see what happens if they're able to do it. But that's the Belichick method. You don't overpay for production that's happened in the past, right? You project out the future. You make moves that anticipate what players are going to be like next year as opposed to what pa- players were like last year. And just look at this last year. Let's just look at the last couple drafts. Last year, Chris Olave, stud. I think Trevor Penning is going to turn into a good guy. He may have to be turned into a guard. We can have that discussion at a later date. But Teron Armstead was a late bloomer as well. Okay, Even back in the day, John Stinchcomb was a late bloomer as well. Sometimes it takes time. Alante Taylor, they got themselves a, a guy there in the second round. And we don't know about DeMarco Jackson. He may be able to play. We don't know yet. Pete Werner? Pete Werner can play, right? We figured that out. He was a second-round pick back in 2021. Paulson Adebo can play a third-round pick from that year. They finally fixed Cesar Ruiz. He's turned into a competent starting offensive guard. Go back to 2019, Eric McCoy, second-round pick. That was the year they drafted Caden Ellis in the seventh round. C.J. Gardner-Johnson was drafted in the fourth round that year. This is what they do. They find guys over and over and over again. This is what they do. This is what they do. So trust the process. Trust Mickey Loomis. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will continue to update it and share it throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here, we're going to head back over to... Lake Chuck because it was a big day at McNeese as Will Wade was officially introduced as the new men's basketball coach. We'll share what he had to say and we'll give our thoughts on this new version of Will Wade. That'll be next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I think there's 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 three main reasons. One, this facility, this area, you know, supports this. I mean, one of the things that stood out to me was we came in eighth place and we led the league in attendance. And I mean, that shows that there's major, major, major support here. And, you know, we've got to galvanize that support and, and earn that support by how we play and, and how, we, how, we, how we interact in the community. But I think number one is the, 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 the community support. Number two is the administrative support. I mean, when you sit down and you meet with, with uh, you know, with 
with Dr. Burkell and, and with uh, Dr. Roos and with, with Coach Schroyer and with Miss Bridget and and I mean, you sit down and meet with them. I mean, they, they, there's a passion these people have for for McNeese and for Southwest Louisiana. And I mean, you can't fake that. There's nothing fraudulent uh, about that. And so, you know, when you have that, when when you've got community support, then you've got some administrative support, and then you look around and, you know, almost every other sport wins at a really high level relative to to where we are. And you know, why can't we do that? We have everything in place to do it. It's time to make it happen. Will Wade, the new McNeese men's basketball coach, talking to the media yesterday there in Lake Charles. And he asked, well, why not us? And it's a fair question. It's why Heath Troyer made the move. Look, John Aiken was a friend of Heath Troyer's. Heath Royer had John Aiken on his staff and then promoted him to replace him as the head men's basketball coach. But he knew he needed to make a move because McNeese did lead the conference in attendance despite being the eighth seed. The Legacy Center is really nice. The university is invested into the basketball program. They have money coming into the basketball program. You can't win eight games. You just can't. And they have the facilities, probably the nicest facilities now in the Southland Conference. And in the Southland, we've seen you be able to turn things around in a hurry. Look what happened at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. The, in 2021, they were a nine-win team. They make a coaching change. They bring in the new coach. What does he do? He wins the conference tournament back-to-back years and heads to the NCAAs. Northwestern State University makes a change, parting ways with longtime coach Mike McConathy, who had a great amount of success there, but the program had declined. Bringing a new coach, what does he do? Wins 20-plus games in year one. Now he's off to another job. You can win in the Southland Conference, and you can win in a hurry in the Southland Conference. You get one, two guys at that level of basketball. You get one or two guys, game changer. Good coaching, couple of guys, you can win 20-plus games. It, that's all that's needed. So I don't disagree with Will Wade there on why they can't do it, especially with the facilities they have. And he's going to be coming in here, and he's going to be trying to do things and he's going to be trying to turn things around, so to speak. And I asked him, you know, he did the rebuild at LSU, right? He turned things around at LSU and did so in a hurry. And I asked him, what is one of the biggest challenges of constructing a rebuild? Well, there's a few. I mean, the, 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 the <laughs> number one challenge, you got to find guys that won't come do it with you. Most people like, I mean, just like anybody, most people like to go to a home that's already built. Most people don't like to lay the foundation and put the walls up and put the insulation in and do all that. Like, I, I you know, you got to find the right guys that are willing to do that with you. And so, you know, we're going to be aggressive in, in pursuing guys that are that, that are able to do that and, and are willing to do that. And then what I talked about earlier, you got to set your standards and then you've got to get everybody moving in the same direction with those standards. And then, you know, I mentioned it in there, but. You know, we're going to work our players hard. There's, there's, a, there's a certain level of work and work ethic that comes with 
with all of this. And I, I feel like part of the payoff for that is we got to get the fans engaged, we got to get the students engaged, so our players can see that their hard work is is rewarded and people appreciate it. And so that's my job when I'm working the players to also make sure we engage the fans, engage the community, and get everybody get everybody going. I'm as I mean, we won a lot of games at LSU, but. I'm as proud of how we engaged the students and how we got that. Play. I mean, uh, that that took that took a monumental amount of work. And the guy who was the architect of all that is is, is coming with me to McNeese here, Nelson Hernandez. He'll be one of my. I mean, he was the architect of the whole deal there. He's got the formula. He's got the playbook on how to do that. And I mean, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna get out there and and, and 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 do what we do. But getting everybody to come together and believe when there's not a whole lot to believe in. Is basically what I'm saying. You know, you, you can't see the finished product yet, but we're going to get there. Going to bring B, and he's not going to be the only guy from his LSU days that he's bringing with him to, by the way. They mentioned it in the press conference yesterday. Going to be the highest paid staff in the Southland Conference. That's done. I, this is a big-time move for McNeese. And they understand that Will Wade's not going to stay forever. Let me be clear here. Heath Schroyer understands. By the way, Heath and Will know each other from their days coaching in Tennessee. That's also part of this connection as well. Is he also gets to come to a university that wants him. Gets to come to an athletic department that's ran by a former basketball coach and not a guy who comes from academia which matters, and they're writing him the checks and saying, what do you need, Will? I want the highest paid staff in the Southland Conference. Done. What else? They know that he's going to come here and turn things around, and then he's going to leave and get a better job. They're not stupid. It's built into the contract that way as well, by the way. But they also know what Will Wade can do for them. And we can talk about all the, the scandal and all the stuff that happened at LSU Sean Miller's coaching, they even mentioned that in the press conference, Dawson, because they couldn't go into great details about what he's going to be able to do, you know, punishment-wise from the NCAA. Obviously, they've had conversations with the NCAA, but Will did mention when he noticed Sean Miller's case got taken care of that he knew then that he was going to have an opportunity to be coaching. Look, there's little to no doubt in my mind that McNeese is going to win the Southland Conference next year. Like, <laughs> And so, for me, this decision for McNeese was never about whether or not Will Wade could be successful there. It was whether or not you wanted to make that move based on everything you knew and the principles around it and the morality around it. And McNeese made that decision. And I can't fully fault them for that. Now, are there a lot of ADs in the country? I mean, a lot of them that wouldn't have made that move? Sure, but there's a lot that would have. I mean, we saw, you know, we've seen it in, in college basketball now. Guys get hired when they can win basketball games. That's the bottom Ole line. Ole Miss is hiring Chris Beard. They didn't who, even let the dust settle, right? Chris I mean, the Beard charges were dropped, but. Lost his job at Texas for a severe allegation of domestic assault. Not what, four months ago? And again, the charges were dropped. The so charges like, were dropped. You, but, but Ole Miss is like, come on down. Like usually what we've seen in the past would have been the dust would have been waited. You'd have waited to like kind of let things cool down, right? Chris Beard would have taken a year off or an off season off at least. But no, this is this is how it goes now. And so Will Wade's going to win. The, and look, the other thing is this is the Southland Conference. And I don't mean any disrespect because I have some great, you know, love for some of the Southland Conference programs. I've talked about the UNO privateers on here and you've got some Louisiana programs in there. Hashtag Southland Strong. 
Absolutely. The Southland Conference is one of the three or four worst basketball conferences in the country. I mean, and that's sad to say, but that's why they're a 16 seed every year in the NCAA tournament, right? That's how that works. And Nowadays, they have. They used to not be that way when right, Northwestern State always, and Stephen and F. Again, were good. In the Southland's yeah. defense, like, the conference has been shuffled around and redesigned in the past few years. It's been absolutely With some flux. realignment, you had mm-hmm. the WAC come in and take all the Texas teams, and now it's like a Louisiana conference with a couple of teams. But my point is, like, good luck Southland Conference next year. Because, again, this is also basketball. This isn't football. Will Wade's going to come in. All he needs is two or three guys that are at a high level and then a bunch of other guys that he's going to find because guys are going to want to go play for him. He's going to murder the transfer portal. He's going to take – Right. I mean, mean, again, how many guys – and and I feel I, I almost feel for some of the guys that are on McNeese's roster right now, there's maybe two guys I would say at most what, three or four guys that are gonna stay on this roster, if you had to guess. Oh yeah, maybe like, this that's roster's max. gonna have max. ten new faces on it, and that's fine. And all that being said, like look, he's gonna win the Southland Con- good luck A and M Corpus Christi, good luck Northwestern State, good luck Southeastern, good luck UNO. He's going to dominate it. And when he says he's you know, he made a comment about winning twenty three games, like that's not a stretch. Again, this isn't even like going into the Sun Belt and competing where you have some programs who've kind of established themselves and won games against big-time teams. It's certainly not like the American Conference where you see a guy like Ron Hunter go to Tulane, but you have the Memphises and the Houstons of the world in that conference. He's coming in, and yeah, look, A&M Corpus Christi's on a nice run. they got a really good program right But they now. may lose their coach. And they're, they're still losing a lot of non-conference games. They're not, like, dominating. No one in this conference dominates their opponents. So he's going to step in and win right away, and... Some people are going to give him a lot, give McNeese a lot of criticism for the hire. Um, but from a basketball perspective, there's almost no way this fails, in my opinion. Now, we'll see what the NCAA does, and maybe some of that affects it a little bit. But maybe, maybe the max, and I know we have to hit a timeout, maybe Will gets suspended for a couple games or something like that, right? And maybe you have to have the assistant coach coach the team. It could be something like that. But. You see Patino coaching, you see Miller coaching, you see Bill Self coaching. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest yeah, what, with you. They're going to play Louisiana College and Loyola, and then he's going to be back. Like, it's going to be... Correct. I, I, I almost see no scenario. In which, Correct. Now, does, does the NCAA put some type of weird recruiting thing on there? I don't think they really can, because again, that's always tied to the school that it happened at, for whatever reason, not the coach. Correct. So, so Will Wade will continue talking about this on today's show. When Jim Gazzolo joins us at straight up eight o'clock to talk all things McNeese Cowboys. We gotta take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Bold question of the day, which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? Right now, 41% of you say David Onyemata going to the Falcons. 34% say Caden Ellis also going to the Falcons. 22% say Marcus Davenport inexplicably getting $13 million by the Vikings. What you doing, Minnesota? And 3% say Shy Tuttle. Let's get to some quick comments while we have a moment here. 
Ralph says, Ellis, we just don't have much linebacker depth, so if Davis or Werner go out at slim pickings, wouldn't be surprised to see Quan come back. So far, the biggest loss is Ryan Nielsen since he poached Ellis and Anyamata. Looking forward to Foote's rant. Yeah, the Nielsen thing is a significant part of this as well, right? Because he's familiar. But don't forget, Terry Fondo's also in Atlanta now for, what, a couple years? So he's familiar with those guys because he helped draft some of those guys and develop some of those guys in the front office. Ralph also says, uh, all got contracts that exceeded their performance. I'm going to miss Davenport's half sack, though. Dude couldn't even host a crawfish boil. Half a sack. Shaking my head. That's good there. <laughs> That's a quality comment by Ralph. Bravo. Salty Steve says, all replaceable players for the poll question, but still have to overcome running back D-line DB, head coach, wide receiver, and O-line issues. Forgot to mention a quarterback with a losing record. Looks like another medicine season. Open wide and say, ah. Salty Steve is in full saltiness on a Tuesday morning. Keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. We'll update it and share your thoughts throughout the rest of today's RP3 and company. Hour number one has come to a close, but don't be sad. Two more hours are still up, and we'll kick off hour number two with our good friend Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, live from spring training for the Astros. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on this brisk March 14th morning here on RP3 and Company. Hope you're being careful on your morning commute for work or school. And make sure you get bundled up out there today. You can rock the hoodie. That's what I'm working with. Or get a little quarter zip action if you're Dawson. That's what he does. That's how we rock with the style inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. This is what we do. We bring style and substance. I struggled with that that word. That was that was surprising. Maybe you need to take over for the rest of the day. What do you think about that, D'Lo? You ready for that? You ready just to take over? If you need me to, I'll step in. Absolutely. <laughs> My man's ready to go. We spent hour number one talking about the start of NFL free agency. New Orleans Saints lost four guys off their defense as they got poached by... Other teams in the NFC, in particular, three of the guys going to NFC South rivals. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Which one of those departures hurts the most? We want to hear from you. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. We also touched on Will Wade being officially introduced as the new men's basketball coach for McNeese University. Oh, man, he's going to turn him into a winner. It's going to be quick. And I know a lot of Raging Cajun fans don't want to see that happen. <laughs> There's probably a lot of LSU fans that don't want to see that happen either, by the way. We'll talk more about that coming up. But right now, it's time for us to talk Houston Astros baseball. Spring training, in effect. Many of the Astro players are playing in the World Baseball Classic. 
to break it all down for us is our buddy from the Locked On Astros podcast, who's live from spring training. Brett Chancey joins us here on RP3 and Company. Brett, good morning to you, bud. First question, is spring training everything you'd hope it would be and more, my friend? Yeah, definitely. Let me tell you, it is a fan-friendly experience. Um, You know, if you show up early when the players are on the backfields and they're taking BP, um, man, you get to talk to them. You get to see them just, you know, live in action. And it's almost like watching a Little League practice but with professional players because – if you go to the backfields where the minor leaguers are, they're hitting in, in certain situations. Um, when they're in the cages, they're talking. They're they're taking certain pitches. They're looking for certain things, and um, it was really neat. You know, we got to uh, talk to Joey Luperfito, um, you know, J.C. Correa, several of the players. Um, I got Jake Myers' attention. My son and I got to have a conversation with him and. Um, he, he was like, man, your son's gotten taller. I said, I know, I think he's going to be taller than you here pretty soon because he's almost six foot himself. And so it's just been really cool. Dusty Baker, we, um, talked with him, Ryan Stanek, and just, it's just neat seeing the Astros in action. And even though they don't have 14 of the players, um, I definitely would highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't been out here to the ballpark at the Palms. So you're enjoying yourself down to spring training. I got to ask, how many autographs have you got for your kid, man? How you guys been racking them up or no? Well, so we got we got Bagwell and and Bregman. Um, oh. We didn't really focus on autographs the first day as much. We're going today and we're going again Saturday, so we're going to see what else we can get. But you know, this trip, I guess, because we have you know had so many guys on the show. Um, the autographs hasn't really been our focus. It's just been more the experience and just being around the players um, is what we've really been looking at this time. So, obviously, so many of the guys, 14 of the guys that are on the roster aren't there at spring training right now at the Palms because they're taking part in the World Baseball Classic. So. Right. Who of those other guys that are maybe vying for a roster spot or maybe are vying to, you know, make the AAA ball club or whatever it might be, who's really kind of stood out to you what you're seeing there on the ground in spring training? Well, I mean, when you when you look at this this uh this fight for the backup catching spot, Corey Lee and Yanner Diaz, um, these guys, I mean, they're hitting the cover off the ball right now. I mean they're looking good. I mean, Justin Dearden continues to be mentioned by not just Dusty Baker, but Dana Brown. So you've got some guys, you know, Lee or Diaz is going to be on this roster come opening day. We just don't know who it's going to be. Um, you know, Forrest Whitley was just relegated to uh, AAA. I, I believe he was assigned to the um, Space Cowboys I think yesterday or the day before, but he is, you know, he's showing really good signs and Ronel Blanco, Ronel Blanco is a guy that Dana Brown said, look, we don't know if we can get him stretched out to a starter, 
but if we don't even get him stretched out to a starter, we know we have a guy that can be a long relief guy this year and not just a one-inning guy. So they're really trying to expand some of these guys' roles so that they can be more effective. So I think Ronel Blanco is going to be a key piece to this uh, puzzle for 2023 because, we, you know, we've got several guys that are, you know, not several, but, you know, we got Lance McCullers who won't be there opening day. Um, but those are the guys that I think are really turning heads. Um, Corey Jolts, he hasn't been as talked about, but I know he definitely is trying to make some waves too and make his way up to the big league club as well this year. Now, I know there, Diaz, not only can he catch, but he can also play a little first base, and we've seen that in spring training, but it seems like the Astros are also uh, having Corey Lee get some run there at first base as well. Looks like they're trying to give him a shot to find a way onto the field because he is the team's number seven overall prospect per MLB pipeline. What do you make of them playing both Diaz and Lee at catcher and at first base here during spring training? Well, yeah, and that's that's definitely going to be expected because if Lee is, in fact, the backup catcher, then you want to be able to play him at multiple positions. They already know Yonder Diaz can do that. Um, and Lee, look, Lee's focused. Um, it was so funny, the game we were at. Um, I got, like, Hunter Brown's first couple strikeouts on camera. I was right behind home plate. And a buddy of mine said, let's let's go to the party deck. I'm like, okay, cool. So literally, as Lee's getting up to bat, I'm getting up from my seat, and I turn around, and I was like, maybe I need to record this at bat. And, of course, I wasn't recording, and he cracked a home run to left field. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Lee means business. I mean, he looks really good out there. Um, I just – I think you're going to, you know, as much as I think Diaz makes his way as the backup catcher, Lee is definitely not going down without a fight, and it very well could be that he's the backup. That makes him more valuable. That's what this team does. They maximize these players' ability to be valuable and not just in one slot, but in multiple slots. And he can also, Lee can also be a great DH for you as well, because really his bat is what his biggest asset is, right? Yeah, so I think right now, if I'm comparing the two, I would think Lee's. I think Lee is. I think I'm more high on him defensively than offensively, but his bat does play, and he can hit. Um, you, you just haven't seen a big enough sample size in the big leagues to say, well, is he going to be a great hitter or not? Because I think Diaz's bat is more like favored on the offensive side just because of what he's done, every level he's moved up. But, look, Corey Lee looks like he's figuring things out more and more. And if that's the case, then, you know, Corey Lee's going to be your guy coming out. And here's the other thing. They could rotate these guys. One could start in AAA to start the season. Another one could be on the big league roster, and then they could just rotate throughout the season as well. So, yes. I mean, because we're talking about the backup catcher. So let's be clear. That's <laughs> what we're talking no, yeah, about. Yeah, we're not. We're definitely not talking starter. I mean, heck, Marquis Maldonado's lost almost twenty pounds, and he's catching perfect games in the World Baseball Classic, and he's hitting the ball. So, Marquis Maldonado looks like he's coming back twenty twenty three with a vengeance. 
Justin Durden's looked good in spring training. Is he going to be able to make the big league roster? You know, the only way he can is if they DFA somebody, um, is if they, because he's not on the 40 man, um, he can. I mean, he's turning heads. Uh, they want to evaluate his swing. Dana was saying yesterday that he thought maybe there were some things in his swing that, that he still needed to work on. And, like, I'm sitting there going, I don't, I don't know what he needs to work on because he's, he's doing pretty well. He had a nice throw from, from right field all the way to third base, a little one-hopper um, that kind of caught their attention. So he's got the arm, um, he's got the speed, and he's got the bat. So um, Dana Brown, I mean, if, if the Astros think he's a viable option as a fourth outfielder, then I think Bearden absolutely hits hits that uh, hits that opening day forty man roster as a guy off the bench. Now another young player that's kind of stood out during spring training and via reports is uh, a, yet another catcher, six foot three, two hundred seven pounds, CJ Stubbs. Now he's a non roster invitee, but he's making the best of his opportunity. Is this someone that the Astros could stash away and and? put down in Sugarland and just have there as another, you know, great young prospect. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you because the catching position is is really not one where you're going to go through all the different clubs and go look at all the catchers they have. That's just not one of those positions. Um and you're right, CJ Stubbs has been phenomenal. Um he hits for power. Um he he's he's got some speed for a catcher. So Look, these guys are given every opportunity right now to show what they have, um, and especially in these games. Like if they have split squad today, we'll you know we're going. I don't know if Stubbs is playing at home or away, but anytime you have these games and you're able to put these guys up against potential major league pitchers, um, you definitely get to see what they're what they're really about. And I think CJ Stubbs is a guy that would have an outside shot at some point if they had to deal with injuries or whatever. But it's nice to have depth in the organization. Wrapping up our conversation with Brett Chancy, our bud from the Locked On Astros podcast. He's down in spring training for the Astros. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Hunter Brown started off spring training a little rough. How does he look in the last uh, week or so? Man, he looks great out there. Um, the game we were at, he looked focused. He was pounding the zone. He 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 was he was he was in rhythm. Um, he looked a lot more comfortable there when we were watching him. Mean, of course, you know it was it was Hunter Brown and Corey Lee. You know they were battery mates there at AAA, and um, I just I think we're going to see good things out of Hunter Brown. It's funny. There's been a mixed bag of like goods of what people say about him. They're like, well, you know, you can't you can't judge him because there's not enough spring training, or you know, he is or he is not the next Justin Verlander. I think Hunter Brown's focus is doing what he can do that day he's on the mound, and that kind of like determination and focus is going to drive him to have a really solid. Um, true rookie campaign this year. I think he finds his way in the top 10 of the rookie of the year conversation when it's all said and done. Hunter Brown, I think, is on the right track. All right, bud, I'll get you out here with this. USA stays alive in the World Baseball Classic by showing no mercy to Canada. 
<laughs> but uh, they can kind of control their own destiny. But how far do you think the defending champs can go? You know, I don't know. You know, can their pitching hold up? Is the way that they're allowed to use their pitchers holding them back? Um, they've got to string enough offense together. Because when you got teams like Venezuela right now um, in Pool D, um, Dominican Republic, I know they have lost to Venezuela early. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough road for USA. Now, when you look at the lineup, you're like, okay, this is a video game lineup. This is an all-star lineup. But you got to go out there and put it on the field. And with the passion some of these other countries are playing with, I'm not saying our guys aren't as prideful, but I'm just saying, man, it is it is hard to beat some of this emotional momentum that some of these other clubs have. They can do it. They can get there. They've got the talent. Uh, the bats have to be hot at the right moment, and the pitcher's got to be able to shut down the opponent. Brett? Appreciate your time, as always. Enjoy the rest of your spring training trip with your son. Uh, truly enjoy it, man. Those moments uh, are few and far between, so take full advantage of it, brother. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Yeah, thank you, sir. You have a good one, and we'll be watching the Astros today, and tonight we'll be seeing the DR play against Israel down in Miami, so it'll, it, it should be fun. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How concerned should you be about your favorite team's recent struggles? Time to sound the alarm for Decon Level with D-Lo on the game. About the Pelicans this week, you know, and look, what spurred this this segment this week specifically is that I was in the house on Saturday night. Uh, it was supposed to be an encouraging, big performance from the Pelicans. They were supposed to turn the season around. Um, I thought me being there was going to be enough motivation for them. Um. <laughs> I guess they didn't get that idea. They get the memo. They, they get the played memo. one of their worst games of the season on Saturday um, against a fairly mediocre, you know, if not below average uh, Oklahoma City Thunder team who was chasing them in the standings. And the Pelicans lost to them uh, and kind of got dominated throughout the game. Now, in true Pelican fashion, they came back on Sunday and had their best game of the season, and they beat Portland. So, Did Dame Lillard play on Sunday? I believe he did, right? Did he? I, I think, think so, so, maybe. Yeah, let me check that and make sure. I'm just throwing. Um, I'm, just, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I didn't see a ton of that game. There was a lot going on, and I also kind of didn't have a whole lot of interest after what I saw. <laughs> he said I didn't have interest. Um, Continue your point. I'll look it up. I'll do the research here. You're leading the segment, bud. Dame Lillard did not play. So, but there again, it was more about the Pelicans' offense than defense. Anyway, Trey Murphy, 41 points. Yeah, and career high. Um, you know, so so here's the decon level. It's a 3.7, and it's more about. Only a 3.7. That's out of five. I mean, that's up there. <laughs> that's not like a low number. Uh, that's well above what I gave the Raging Cajun team, which, again, I'd like to go ahead and pat myself on the back. I, I said not to worry, and then they won the conference title. So, Pelicans, I'm saying you should probably worry. So, um, here's the thing, and this is more of a long-term outlook, not even just kind of like what's going on for this season. 
the rest of this year is pretty simple. Like, it's best case scenario is playing tournament. And then, again, from there, what do you do? Like, okay, you win the playing tournament, maybe, if you play great basketball down the stretch and then somehow play a great playing tournament against other pretty good teams that are probably going to include the likes of Dallas and the Lakers. So I, I don't really see this year going anywhere anyway um, from where we are, and I think I've kind of accepted that. But my, my bigger look for the concern level here is the long-term success of this organization. And I was kind of talking about this yesterday with my dad. Uh, it's like you're in a tough spot right now because the core is, is together, and we've seen it be extremely successful. We still don't have proof that this group put together in one complete piece will lose a lot of games. They haven't done it. Uh, they've been great when they've been all together. Now they haven't. But they've been... only been together for like a dozen games, though. Well, more than that. Uh, more than that. But... Zion, CJ, and yeah. Bi. And and look, the thing is that even without Bi, this team was winning a lot of games. Um, now, yeah. when Zion went out, things kind of changed. And so, you know, whether or not they're going to be. My, my biggest fear is that long-term, you, you have to keep the core together, especially next year. Like, you don't really make any big changes. There's no way you can. You have to keep this thing together because, like we said, we don't have any proof that it's not going to work. But if it's unable to stay healthy, one, or if it's unsuccessful, two, which would be the real big nightmare, then, like, next year you have to consider making big changes. Like it, And Zion's not going to be here forever. He's not going to sit around waiting for you to figure this out. This is the second time within, you know, a little more than a decade that you were – kind of gifted a generational talent. Like, let's be real. Like, the Pelicans were not supposed to be the number one overall pick when they took Anthony Davis, and they certainly weren't supposed to be the number one overall pick when they took Zion. Now, part of the reason the first part didn't work with Anthony Davis is because he wasn't fully willing to make it work. Um, and not to say he didn't give the Pelicans a chance to make things work, but even when things started to go well, he kind of dipped out and changed his mind. Zion hasn't seemed like he's going to do that, but every player's going to reach a breaking point, right? Chris Paul... Which the reason I don't have any animosity towards Chris Paul, he tried to make it work for a long time in New Orleans, and it never quite materialized. They couldn't put winning pieces around him. But couldn't you argue? Here's my counterpoint to that. But Anthony Davis and Paul are different situations. Yeah, they are, but because, neither one of them worked. Is my point right? But Zion's health is part of the reasoning here, and I, I get that, and he may be frustrated. But don't you think his teammates in the front office is just as frustrated that their franchise player and the guy they gave the max to can't stay healthy? And that's why I've I, and that's why I'm saying it's such a difficult situation to be in because there's no reason to move off of Zion in that in that regard. Well, He's, you can't. Like you can't. Like people keep asking me, "Hey, they need to trade Zion. They should trade Zion." They can't. They can't. They can't omit. And you can't create the value that he gives you when he's healthy in a trade. And you can't not. you can't give up just yet because you, you've you've no. you've you've attached everything to him, so you're going to have to ride this out a little while longer. And that's and I know it's frustrating, but you're going to have to go at least next season. Now, if next season comes and goes, and he's still banged up, and he can't stay healthy, and Bi can't stay healthy, and there's still a marginal team that's you know battling to get into the playing tournament, and that's the that's their ceiling. Then after next season, then you can blow it up. Well, that's my point, though, is that you're kind of handcuffed to this. And the thing is that if you if you go through this season and next and it doesn't work out and you end up having to either blow it up or just continue to try something that's not working, all those assets that you got in that Anthony Davis trade, we've, we've talked about all the first-round picks and the pick swaps and things like that, Like you're going to have lost out on most of those, um, and then you're still going to be starting from scratch, essentially, trying to find a franchise piece and a cornerstone. And C.J. McCollum's not going to get any younger, and Brandon Ingram – might not have interest in staying here either. Like no matter, even when guys sign these max deals, they find ways to get out of it if they want to, right? So 
None of that's happening right now. I'm not suggesting that Zion or BI wants out or that they will want out. But my point being here is that we're now on like year three of this whole thing where it feels like things are turning around and then they don't. There it is. So that's why my concern level is, is getting much higher now because you're in danger. You're not there yet. You're not even necessarily close to there yet, but you're in danger of missing out on capitalizing on a generational talent for essentially the third time in your franchise's fairly young history. And the other thing to your point, Dawson, is they've built up such goodwill the last couple of years with the fan base and with folks in New Orleans being excited for basketball, right? This is a market that's always struggled with consistent fandom for professional basketball. They did so back in the days when it was the Jazz. They did so since it's been the Hornets, now the Pelicans. It's never been consistent. You've built up so much goodwill, but fans are fickle. Fan bases are fickle. If you keep treading water and you keep battling to be in the playing tournament and you don't build off that momentum, you're going to lose that momentum with your fan base as well, which matters. It does. We see how much better the Pelicans played earlier in the season when the Smoothie King was rocking. It gave them an advantage. Yeah, and, and That matters like, too. Again, uh, I don't even think much, much of this is really like the Pelicans' fault over the past couple of years because they haven't been healthy, and that's not like something... You can talk about the training staffs and the medical staffs, like I guess so, but like you, they already fired one medical staff and brought in a whole new one. So I don't know what you want them to do in that regard. Uh, they have a guy who, and look, Zion's certainly got some genetic type of advantages on the basketball court that then cause disadvantages off of it, right? Because he, he's more prone to some of those injuries with you know how explosive he is as a player. So there's not much they can, and that's my point here. My concern level is high because I don't know if it's going to work in the long run. But my concern level at the same time isn't isn't as high because I don't know what else they're really supposed to do. Like, if you do you want to make another coaching change? I don't think so. Some people are upset with the way Willie Green's coaching right now. I I don't think that's really the issue. He doesn't have his guys. Like, and for whatever reason, they've been less successful without Zion in there. And I don't know how much of that is just the confidence level of the guys around him, and and how much of it is actual basketball um, and, and the spacing that he can create, but they haven't been great in a, in a really long while since that beginning portion of the season. And um, it's just, it's concerning going into, you know, the critical years of Zion's development where he's just not out there. 3.7 is, is your decon. I think that is a fair assessment. I think it's a fair assessment. But this is, for all intents and purposes, another lost season. Another lost season. How many more of those are you going to have? It's great to be on the cover of Slam Magazine. But if you're battling the Oklahoma City Thunder to be in the playing tournament, not great. Not great. Good job, bud. Good Appreciate job. It. Good Appreciate job. It. This, is what, this is what Dawson brings to the table. 3.7 on the 3.7 out of 5. It's the threat level. It's not ideal for, for for you know if anyone's the first time hearing the the decon no. segment, you know we started this thing out a while back when the Cajuns lost a couple of basketball games and they were at a two point two. They were below that halfway threshold. They weren't even Pelicans are Pelicans above are it. well past it and into uh, again. I haven't ever given a score in the fours where you're really panicking, but we're getting close, so we'll see. <laughs>
We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to stay in New Orleans. Derek Carr spoke to the media, the new New Orleans Saints starting quarterback. We'll listen to what he had to say. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, I think just um, just the background of the offense, where it's come from, um, the terminology. Um, it's right. It's it's it gets back to what I thought were my most productive and successful years um, uh, in in that aspect. So the similar concepts, um, different ways of getting to certain things, and. Uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, as soon as they started talking football, and particularly on how, you know, how Drew wanted to play and how, how, how that season went, you know, or seasons went when Drew was here and how that style and that kind of stuff, that was intriguing to me that they can do so many different things. No matter who is quarterback, they fit. Like when Taysom plays, they, they fit what Taysom can do. When Andy plays, they fit what Andy can do. When Jameis plays, and all those guys are super talented, but they all do things differently better than others, right? And that's how we all are as humans, you know, especially as quarterbacks. We all have our strengths. And so I think the intriguing thing to me was, like, whoever was playing quarterback that, you know, Pete and the staff was always putting them in the best situation possible for them as a player, you know. Um, because, it, you know, I, I'm not – uh, you know, if we're going to go zone read, you know, 30 times a game, I'm probably not your guy, you know. Uh, but there are some things that I can do really well um, that the Lord has blessed me with um, that I think that, you know, Pete and the offensive staff do a really good job of whatever that is for each individual player. Um, they pull that out of them. New Orleans Saints new starting quarterback, Derek Carr, talking to the media about why this offense is a good fit for him. You already got something to say. Chime in. You're oh, ready. You no, almost cut just, me off. It's fine, but I because I didn't hear that clip until just now, and I, I liked most of what I did hear from Derek Carr, but I fundamentally disagree with what he said there, which, again, he's not going to say otherwise. He just got signed, but, like, <laughs> I don't think they did a good job at all of utilizing <laughs> players to the best of their abilities last year. I mean, see Alvin Kamara, but... <laughs> He's, or Taysom Hill. Like it's a press conference. He's got to say yeah, it, so yeah. whatever. But I, I disagree. <laughs> Something that did come out of the press conference is how much he and Michael Thomas have been communicating. And we talked about this on the air about after Derek Carr was announced that he had signed, you know, I think Michael Thomas sent up like a prayers answered emoji. You know, he's very cryptic on social media. But come to find out that Derek and Mike have been in almost constant communication the last month. Yeah, I would say, I mean, really just in the recent has been the most we've talked. You know, obviously as players, we know each other and have a respect and all those kind of things, right? Um, and you have a lot of those relationships throughout the year. But, you know, me and, me and Mike, we've you know gotten close through this process and talking. And, you know, the first time I talked to him on the phone, I don't think he wanted me to get off the phone, you know. I, I really enjoyed talking to him. And I, I told Mickey, I was like, you talk to Mike Thomas, and you feel like you two could go out there and face the world. You know, I, I told my wife when I got off the phone, and she was like, why are you smiling? I was like, I love this guy, <laughs> you know. He's so competitive, you know. And, uh, you know, I think just the energy that he brings, 
you know, uh, it would be very exciting times to throw him the football for sure. So, um, you know, when when he started recruiting and talking to me and all that, he he wouldn't even like try and recruit me. He's just like, hey, when are we getting to work? We're wasting time. You know, uh, you know, time's ticking. You know, and I was like, yeah, I feel the same way. But time, t we'll get there. But. Uh, you know, I think that our relationship has grown through this process, and I look forward to hopefully making that relationship grow even stronger. If I'm a Saints fan, I hear that. I'm on cloud nine. We have assumed that the Saints, when they restructured his contract, that they were making it easier to either cut him or trade him, and that Michael Thomas was done with New Orleans. And look, he at times makes contradicting statements. And obviously, he is an emotional player. But the guy obviously wants to play. And signing Derek Carr sure does sound to me. Now, once again, that's just phone conversations between him and Derek Carr. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know what Michael Thomas's people is telling him or you know yapping in his ear about. We don't we don't we don't know if that relationship between Thomas and the Saints has been fully repaired. We do know Dennis Allen worked at fixing that relationship that had been, let's be honest, nearly broken. But if Mike can be healthy, and I know that's a big what if, maybe it's time as Saints fans to change your perception on this situation with Michael Thomas and go, hey, can't guard Mike is ready to go. He's ready to get to work with his new quarterback. He's excited about his new quarterback. Maybe instead of just wanting to cut ties and say, love Mike, but it's time to move on, let him go, trade him, do whatever, maybe it's time to reconsider that thought process and go, hey, I can't wait to see what Mike and Derek do together as a combination. No response from D'Lo. D'Lo says... I'm trying to process what you're saying. I was trying to let you cook right there. I thought you were going with something. No, look, if Michael Thomas wants to be... I've never got the idea that Michael Thomas didn't want to play. Like, you heard it come out from multiple sources that he played through injury in Drew's last year because he felt the duty to Drew and to those guys to make a run. Um, and then, like, he was hurt. Like, I don't under... He was hurt. Like, I don't understand what people don't get about that. Uh, it's just like Zion right now. You think he doesn't want to play? Like, he wants to play. He's hurt. There's not this like big conspiracy to make up injuries. Like, I don't know. Um, but if he wants to play, and but it changes how this team could look once again. Oh, yeah. If Mike's healthy, and I, I know that's a huge what if. Well, he doesn't even have to be. He doesn't have to be record setting Mike Thomas. He, he just, just needs to be seventy five percent of what he used. He to has be. to be a step above what Jarvis Landry was last year when he played, and then that's it. Like that's he basically just has to be what he was when he played for two games. Uh, he that's was fair. He was great, and and so I don't have any doubt of, and yeah, that's a big box that you don't have to check. Now, now you can go into the draft as far as a receiver and get greedy on somebody. Take a take a high upside guy, you know. Take a guy like At Perry, who I really like, who you know maybe isn't going to be step in and plug and play in the offense, but has like the potential to be great long term. So, yeah, like I I I think you sign him up. You sign him up tomorrow. Now. I, Everything that we've now heard in the past week or so, it would it would feel like a shock if he wasn't back. So we'll see, and maybe we get an answer to that sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, no, I mean, sign him up. Like I don't under, I don't know why you wouldn't want to, he. And for all his antics, like yeah, he tweets a lot of stuff that's dumb, but he hasn't been in like l real legitimate trouble. 
He hasn't been like in no. some of the trouble that we've seen a lot of other guys around the league get in recently. So like, look, I understand that you don't like his act. I don't love it all the time either. But he's one of the better receivers in the league. Wide receivers are tend to be divas, as it is. But his antics are not. Look, the, the big frustration is he's even healthy. If he's ready to roll, Derek Carr. I know we're concerned about the guys that are leaving on defense and free agency that have been poached, but all those guys are replaceable. You can't really replace Mike Thomas. And you can't find a better option at quarterback than Derek Carr. So, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you can replace those guys on defense. You just got major upgrades if you get a healthy Michael Thomas back and you get Derek Carr. And if they're reaching out and they're already talking about getting to work, that's a great sign. That's an absolute great sign. And here's the other thing. We find out during the press conference that Derek Carr leaned on someone else during the decision-making process to decide to sign with the New Orleans Saints, and that would be number nine himself, Drew Brees. You know, I, I sent Drew a text, and obviously I won't get into his business on what he said. And I sent him a text, and you know, it was early in the process. You know, I think it was right after my visit here. And I sent him a text, and he, uh, he actually ended up – we were in Mexico at the time, you know, getting our vacation on. And it uh, wasn't too much of a vacation for me because my mind was spinning. <laughs> um, but he called me. And had a free afternoon, he called me. And um, I just asked questions, you know, asked questions about the organization, asked questions about, you know, Mickey, uh, Pete, um, you know, the city, you know, um, everything, you know, the community, all that. And uh, a lot of what he said, um, he answered a lot of questions for me. Um, a lot of what he said um, is – probably why I'm sitting here today you know um, when someone you respect so much that you've competed against and he's one of the, let's, let's not I mean I'm not coming here trying to be Drew Brees you know that, that man is a Hall of Fame quarterback you know I'm, I'm coming here to be Derek Carr you know and um, I, I have so much respect for him though as a player you know I have so much respect for him as a, more as a person and as a dad I've watched him at the Pro Bowl you know sitting there with his kids and the way that his kids admire him and talk about him and you can tell he's a genuine person. And so a lot of what he had to say was going to carry weight with me. And so um, I won't get into all the details because, you know, some of that was private to him and, and to me. But you know, a lot of what he said is, you know, probably why I'm sitting here today. Pick the brain of Drew Brees. He wants to be here. He talked about also about how the Saints coveted him and tried to trade for him. And they were the first ones out the gigs to try to, to persuade him to come. That meant a lot to him. You're getting a good quarterback. He's already making a connection with Michael Thomas. And look, people are getting excited, including my wife, Tina, who's already texted me. She never texts me during the show. Yes, your wife heard that, and she's on cloud nine. She's ready to go. My wife's ready for me to look at the schedule and find out when we make our yearly pilgrimage to New Orleans to watch a Saints game so she can bang on the Superdome. By the way, that's her deal. My wife doesn't want 50-yard line seats, Dawson. No, 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 no. Not this one. Not this diehard Saints fan. She wants to be up in the nosebleed so she can bang on the metal of inside the Superdome so she can get loud and get loud inside the dome. That's what my wife likes to do. It's a sight to behold, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the the lady in my life um, is about as big a Saints fan as you're going to find. Um, a lot of the other sports stuff she can take or leave, but Saints, Saints stuff she doesn't mess around with. And if there's one person I'm confident she loves more than me is Drew Brees. 
<laughs> so if Drew Brees gave his blessing on Derek Carr, then she's probably going to be fond of Derek Carr as well. There we go. So I, I may need to look at the schedule, figure out a game or two uh, that we'll need to go to, and maybe take our daughter to her first Saints game because we have not uh, done that. And by the time the season rolls around, she'll be nine. So maybe that's uh, a family trip that we can make. But great stuff there from Derek Carr. And if you're a Saints fan, you got to be happy about what you're hearing from your new franchise quarterback. We got to take a time out. When we return here, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number two right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? Right now, 45% of you say David Onyemata going to, going to the Falcons. 34% of you say Caden Ellis also going to the Falcons. 15% of you say Marcus Davenport, who inexplicably is being paid $13 million by the Vikings for one year. 13 mil? Good for, look, good for Marcus. Shout out to Marcus for hustling that deal and his agent. But Minnesota must be, I mean, I know they lost some pieces, but man, $13 million? He's going he's gonna to make it worth it. Watch. He's going to have six to eight sacks. He's going really to have a really good season, and then he's going to get a big contract and then be injured the rest of that contract. Yeah. I really do think he's going to have a good year, though. We'll see. We'll see. He was healthy this year and had a half a sack. Or, or Shy Tuttle. Right now, 45% of you say Anyamata, 34% say Ellis, 15% say Davenport, and 6% say Shy Tuttle. Let's get to some additional comments. Robert on Twitter says, Anyamata, in my opinion, when he was available, he was a beast, but I have faith they will either sign or draft a few guys to replace them. Salty Steve says, Saints will take years to be a contender again. Sad coach, subpar QB, and more holes to fill than anyone can imagine. Time heals all. Hopefully it doesn't take 40 years. Hashtag tell the truth Tuesday. Salty Steve coming off the top rope with the saltiness today. Ralph also says, forgot to thank Shy Tuttle for one of my favorite moments in recent years. And, of course, the gif of him stiff-arming Matt Ryan, which was pretty good. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, okay? Let's not get, let's not get nasty on the social media, D-Lo. That's not what we're about here. That's not what we're about. Uh, my wife would like to know uh, that says, tell D-Lo he should draft Marcus Davenport on your fantasy football team and see how much you like him when he's not playing. Um, the leagues I play in don't have a spot for defensive players, but... My wife's been frustrated did, by Marcus Devin. I did play in a league once with a defensive player, and um, it was fun to do individual defensive players. But yeah, it's a lot of work. Well, it's a lot and, of and work. we the the issue we ran into in that league was that the way the points were weighted, it, it was just the there was a couple of guys who were way more valuable than the rest of the defensive players, and so the the teams that got those guys, it kind of skewed it. But that's fair. Hour number two has come to a close. Hour number three, how we're going to kick it off? How about the great one, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press? That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on this chilly Tuesday morning here on RP3 and Company. We are broadcasting from the warm and comfortable Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. I am the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined, of course, by the producer, soon-to-be extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. And Evco Development is a civil construction company that, of course, specializes in new multifamily construction. We've touched on a lot of different subjects today. NFL free agency began yesterday. Saints lost four guys off their defense, poached by four teams in the NFC, including three in their own division. That's our poll question of the day. We ask you which one of those losses hurts the most. Go vote on that and leave your comments on Facebook and the Twitter. We also talked about the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll do so again later on this hour when Ali Cassell joins us for editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. And we heard from Will Wade, new McNeese men's basketball coach. He touched on a slew of different topics in his introductory press conference with about 250 folks in attendance. And that's not counting the cheerleaders in the band, by the way. Folks in Lake Charles are excited, and rightfully so, for Will Wade's arrival and to dive deeper into Will Wade being the new men's basketball coach, is our good friend, the man known as Jimmy G from LC, the great one from the Lake Charles American Press and also host of the Meet East Coaches show, Jim Gazzolo, joins us this morning. Jim, good morning, bud. How are you? Oh, hello, Raymond. How are you? It was good to see you yesterday in the Chuck. It's always a pleasure to be in the Chuck, and it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. <laughs> You were holding court, rubbing elbows with the McNeese State University president, boosters, supporters were coming up, giving you compliments. I mean, really, the day was supposed to be about Will Wade, but it became all about Jim. As it should be. Don't you agree? As it should be. I was there and everything, but I, I was not in the rowdy suit, so everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, there it is. All right, give me your first impressions. You and I talked about this off the air yesterday, but uh, share with us your impressions of uh, Will Wade's introductory press conference and how he answered questions by the media, including some, eh, let's be honest, somewhat difficult questions asked by you, my friend, in the uh, media session afterwards. <laughs> I was not. I was, I, was, I was warm and cuddly. What are you talking about? Warm and cuddly me. You were, I thought he was fine. I thought he handled it well. I thought he was well prepared. Um, you know, he won the room, but it's a pretty easy room to win because there's not a lot of media there. Um, but you know, I think uh, the talking of his rebirth and, and wanting to re, re, kind of remake himself, I think, is key because uh, really that's what this is all about for him. Um, it's kind of rebrand himself and uh, then move on when he's ready to go. I found it interesting. One of the things he kept bringing that home is that he, you know, hey, he needs to, you know, rebuild his career, right? He was very honest about that. He yeah, came right out it, yeah. front about that and didn't shy away from it, which I thought was nice. And even when we did the question and answer session with him 
in the media room afterwards, after he was, you know, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies and, you know, the cheerleaders and the band and all that good stuff, he was did not seem yeah. to have any hesitation. He did not have any uh, trepidation. He seemed very comfortable, and he was like, look, there's some things we can't discuss. Uh, him and Heath Troyer both said that, that they've had discussions with the NCAA and everything. But I found it interesting. He mentioned Sean Miller, and he was like, once he saw that happen, he knew that he was going to be able to get back into coaching. Yeah, I think they they know what's coming to some extent. They know the limitations. They know the possibilities. I think they've got a hint on what's coming, probably through their lawyers and that. And McNeese back ended the contract to where they're pretty well protected, too. So uh, uh, I hope to get a look at that today. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's – look, it's a smart move for McNeese uh, because they're trying to be relevant. They've never been relevant in basketball. Uh, it's a good move for him because he, he won't have the pressure of a power six. He won't have a, pre- uh, a pressure of those looking at him. Um, and he can remake himself kind of in a little anonymity, but also close enough to LSU where he'll get some attention from them. How much does McNeese basketball need Will Wade? Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, how much do you need blood? It's it's a dead uh, it's a dead sport, really, at McNeese. If not for new life with with Will Wade, um, it's just never been. You know, the interesting thing is it led the conference in uh, attendance, and for a lot of people here, they would say, "Hey." That's pretty good, and the glass is half full. He sure looks at it and says, my gym is more than half empty. I need to fill it. So I think that uh, it, it depends on – if McNeese was wanting to stay in the Southland Conference, it doesn't need Will Wade. Uh, McNeese has aspirations of going to FBS to being bigger, to being a bigger player, and I think uh, Will Wade gets them a step closer to that like everything else they're doing. Um they had 61 platinum uh, memberships uh, bought last night. Uh, heading into last night, they had numerous, uh, I don't know, an official company, the numerous season tickets. So he brings life into what was a dead program. He brings life into a dead program, and he gets an opportunity to rehab his image of sorts. Obviously, no trepidation yeah. on the part of McNeese to hiring will wade even with the baggage that comes with being suspended by lsu not even coaching the team to the sweet 16 appearance back in 2019 that was an assistant coach that did that and then obviously being fired a year ago for multiple level one allegations of violations by the ncaa they obviously have done their homework we may not know everything like you're alluding to jim but we can assume here that Heath Schroyer and his team have done their homework in knowing that the punishment that they may have to absorb is not going to be that great, and it's worth the risk of hiring Will Wade. Well, I think there, and I think in the contract, there's also some stipulations as to what each level would be. Um, I think we're looking at somewhere between show cause to five games, because we've seen Bill Self get four games. Um, We've seen uh, everybody else get kind of show cause. So I think it's somewhere in there. 
If it is more, I think McNeese is prepared for that. I think they'd be willing to go with more uh, as long as the assistants are in place. Um, but I, I do think the one thing is, I think as we look at the contract and we dig into it, I think McNeese has already put in some stipulations for Will Wade when it comes to recruiting uh, limitations and that that will tell them tell the NCA as they're making their decision, just like Kansas did. We've already taken steps, and that should that may be a positive. They might be trying to preempt do a preemptive strike with some things in the contract. Were you surprised by anything that was said yesterday? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> He sure was very good with the media. I, I assumed Will Wade would be very good with the media. Uh, they said mostly the right things. Um, they dodged a couple of the bullets, which which they should, uh, about some of the players uh, as we see the portal come open. Um, I, I you know I, I I tried to pin him down on uh, a Christian Shoemate because he's the best player on the team. He was very good at saying uh, what he said about him. So. Um, no, I thought it was. I thought it was about what I thought. I thought the dog and pony show was about what I thought it would be too. We're talking with the man who needs no dog and pony show, Jim Gazzola of the Lake Charles you, American. You Press. were rude. I was rude. You, you, you were a little rude. You, no, I was rude. How you figure? People were stealing my questions in the press conference. I wasn't rude. Go ahead, he Jim. Said I asked tough questions, so I had to. He said I had tough questions, so I had to get. A, I had to get back at you. How is tough questions saying being rude? Why are you being sensitive this know. morning? I, I, I'm a sensitive man. You know that. I saw you yesterday. You know, I you know, I, I praise your work. I, I don't. I don't know what else you need from me. We're talking with a, a, a man who apparently needs a, a hug this morning. Jim Gazzolo, the Lake Charles American Press. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, uh, he boldly stated that his goal for year one, and he made sure to correct me on this, which I found amusing. Yes, he did. Yes, that he wants to win 23 games plus in year one. They lost a record 23 games this year under John Aiken. Will Wade, his goal is to win at least 23 games in year one. Do you think that's actually something he can do? I, I think it's going to be tough. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he's going to get 23 wins um, or plus, uh, which I thought was funny when he when he said, no, I, I said plus. He looked right at you, and I was like, uh, you know, realistically, come on, guy. Uh, 23, that's what, 23 and 4? Um, but I do think that they're going to dummy down some of the uh, pay games now that they're going to get bigger crowds. I think that's going to be the interesting thing is do they need to make four? I've been told they'll go to three money games, uh, maybe eventually two, and bring in more mid-majors um, as part of the package deal. But uh, I, I think that um, the, the whole key to this was selling the arena. And you don't need 23 wins to sell that arena. You need about 18. And I, I thought, again, the interesting thing to me at the end of it was this is the easiest path to the NCAA tournament because if you are one of the one of the two top two teams in the league, McNeese will only have to win two games on their home floor to get an NCAA berth. And I've said that all along. That's what made this job so attractive to some of these guys is it is ready made 
for an NCAA tournament. Now, you say 23 wins is not out of the, you know, you don't believe that's something that can be done, but we've seen Texas A&M Corpus Christi go from a team that won five games in the 2020-2021 season and went two and three in the Southland Conference. They make a coaching change. He brings in some players, and Steve Lutz has them win the conference, win 23 games, and go seven and seven in the Southland and get to the NCAA tournament. So it's not impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's just, it's not. It's never been done here. So until it's done here, I think uh, if he gets to 20 wins, they'll probably crown him king in uh, Lake Charles. Crown him king in Lake Charles? That means you would have to give up the throne, though, bud. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding back and forth this morning, Jim. Yeah. Glad glad you were ready to go at, today. Thanks, thanks for being a participant <laughs> in this back and forth interview. Outstanding. <laughs> uh, why you always pick on me, Raymond? Why you always pick on me? Now, you, I, now I'm gonna I'm gonna get off the phone thinking you don't like me. I, I don't I don't know. I have you on every week. I mean, how could I not like you? Come on, man. Great stuff, Jim. As always, you can I'm read all of Jim's great stuff at the Lake Charles, uh, inside the Lake Charles American Press, and of course on their website. And he'll host the McNeese Coaches Show this Wednesday night as well. So tune in for that. Jim, thanks for the time. Always a pleasure, Raymond. Always a pleasure. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. He's the new guy. Dawson Iserlow. What up, new guy? Like, I've been here a good bit. I mean, it's, you know, we're working on, what, two months? What up, new guy? What up, new guy? Yeah. Shout out to the new guy. We have a legitimate question for you, new guy. John Paul, who says, RP3 and new guy. (laughs) I can't find any information, but maybe you can. Of the four guys that were poached in free agency yesterday. Once again, David Onyemata to the Falcons. Kay Nellis to the Falcons. Shai Total to the Panthers. And Marcus Davenport to the Vikings. Of those four guys, any of them restricted free agents where the Saints may get some late round comp picks because of their loss in free agency. We actually have that information about the 
comp picks because people started putting that together yesterday after the defections. And no team loves getting more comp picks than the Saints. It seems like they get so many comp picks because everyone wants their players. Seems like that's what we do. That's what happens to the Saints year after year after year. But what can what have you found? What have you been able? I found something from John Sigler. Is that what you found? I've been looking around. Um, I mean, this is what I have. Go, go for it. Okay. Saints would have ten draft picks in twenty twenty four, including the projected comp picks. Around one pick, they have the second round pick from the Broncos. They would get an additional fourth round pick from for Marcus Davenport. They would get another fourth round pick for David Onyemata. They would get a comp pick for Caden Ellis in the sixth round and then a six-round comp pick for Shy Tuttle. And that's courtesy of John Sigler, managing editor of the Saints Wire. That's what he put out yesterday on the Twitters. Yeah, but you, you don't get all those, right? Isn't that how the comp picks work? You're not going to necessarily get all four. I forget exactly how that works. I know there's some rules. Yeah, it's a bit of, of a complexity, it's, but like I don't because yeah. I don't think they're handing out draft picks for every free agent that leaves. It'd be too many. So I believe I thought they limited it to 32 total compensatory picks. It could be. So they, they probably won't get all four comp picks, but I think I'd be safe to say what they probably get maybe two. And and they're probably going to be anywhere between the fourth and the sixth round for next year. I think that's that sounds about right. Um, so th- they'll get some picks on the back end for next year. But that being said, look, I- I've said this before, and I know lots of Saints fans are going to be upset about their players getting poached. But th- this is what I would say to this. Trust Mickey. Like, what has Mickey Loomis done in his tenure as the man who's running the front office of the New Orleans Saints that leads you to believe that he's not committed to putting a competitive team on the field? Even with the garbage quarterback play that they've had the last couple of years in New Orleans, they still have nearly made the playoffs. Think about that for a second. Injuries? No Michael Thomas the last two years? They bring in Jarvis Landry. He gets injured. They've had injuries on both sides of the football. Garbage quarterback play. And yet, somehow, this team still remains competitive enough to be in the playoff fight towards the tail end of the season. Back-to-back years. What leads you to believe that Mickey Loomis can't figure out a way to absorb these four losses? I'm, 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 I'm honestly asking. What has he proven in his track record of 20 years that he can't figure this out? The rule is four compensatory draft picks maximum per team. So actually, the Saints do have a chance to there we go. possibly get all four of those. There we go. Now, if they if they are to lose someone bigger at some point, you're going to get your best four options. So you know the the bottom of that one would then kind of drop off if they end up with five and they can only choose four of them. Um, but last year, the league gave out I think 36 picks to like 16 teams, something like that. So. Um, Getting four it would be rare, but it's it's possible that that could happen. But once again, I will ask: if you take away the Katrina year when they went three and thirteen and was devastated by hurricanes, they're always competitive. Now they may not make the playoffs, and they may be seven and nine. 
and there's going to be years during that stretch where the defense was hot garbage and Drew Brees was throwing for 5,000 yards. But this team is routinely competitive. They've lost players before. They've had restricted free agents be signed off to other teams before. They've had to part ways with star players before. And yet, year after year, the Saints are consistently, for the better part of 20 years, the better part of 20 years, that's two decades, people, the better part of 20 years are consistently a competitive ball club. They're not the Cleveland Browns. They're not the Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders. They're not them. This is not what they are. The Saints aren't a clown show. They're not a poverty franchise. Despite losses every single year, they remain competitive. Now, that doesn't mean there'll be a playoff team this year. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But they're going to be competitive because Mickey makes sure to do whatever it takes with smart, shrewd trades they find diamonds in the draft or in as undrafted rookies. They do this. Look at the guys that they just lost that everyone's losing their mind about and saying things like, I'm done with this team. Shy Tuttle was an undrafted rookie that they developed into a good rotational plug-in guy. Caden Ellis was a seventh-round draft pick who began his career as a special teamer that they turned into a good rotational linebacker. He had a great year last year for him. Absolutely. Does it hurt that he leaves? Absolutely. Uh, is the sky falling? No. David Onyemata was a fourth-round pick. Good rotational guy. He's going to go get paid in Atlanta. Guess what? Onyemata also has off-the-field issues that he's been suspended for, and he's dealt with some injuries. Oh, this is what they do. They find players. They develop players. They find players that other teams don't do. And other franchises look to the Saints and go, how did they find those guys like that late in the draft? How did they find guys like that as undrafted rookie free agents? How do they manipulate the salary cap? All of you out there that believe the sky is falling for the New Orleans Saints because the third best linebacker on the team went and signed with the Atlanta Falcons, you're not paying attention. You don't pay attention to what your team does what Mickey Loomis does, he finds a way every single season to make this team competitive. Once again, this team has had dealt with a plethora, that's a big fancy college word, Dawson, I like that, a plethora of injuries the last couple years, and they've had hot, stinky, wet, garbage quarterback play. And yet they've still been in the mix to make the playoffs the last two years. Heads up. They got a pretty good quarterback now in Derek Carr. And they got Michael Thomas excited about playing football for this team and playing with Derek Carr. Do they have holes on the roster that they need to be filled? Yes. Does losing these guys on the defensive side of the football mean they probably need to do some addressing of that during the draft? You betcha. Do you think they're not going to? Do you think Mickey Loomis is going to go, hey, you know what? We lost David Onyemata and Shai Tuttle. And Marcus Davenport, you know what we're going to do? 
here, guys? Let's let's be bold. Let's go against what we've done for, I don't know, 20 years and decide to go, well, let's not address our needs. Let's not bring in any D tackles. Let's just see what happens. Let's see if we can make Taysom Hill into a D. No, that's not what's going to happen. If you're a sky is falling fan for the black and gold, then you haven't been paying attention how your organization is ran because it's one of the best run organizations in the NFL and has been that way for 20 years. Pay attention. Stop being dramatic. Stop pretending the sky is falling and have faith in Mickey Loomis. Rant over. Break has arrived. Up next, Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. We'll talk Pelicans. That's next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the new guy. A man who's not afraid to have a firm hand with me. Bossing me around a little bit, saying, hey, man, get back in your seat. Stop clowning around, RP3. It ain't all about you. It's about the station. We got eight seconds to be back, and you're just (laughs) casually strolling around. So, my bad. Man, you're getting closer and closer to being extraordinary. I knew I hired you for a reason. Look, if you can deal with uh, Kevin and I every morning, (laughs) you're built different. Let's just say that. You know who else is built different? Our next guest. Our final guest on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. He's the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Ollie Cassell joins us now. Ollie, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. Very eager to see tonight's matchup. Los Angeles Lakers are in town. As we know, Pelicans and all their fans aren't very big, fond uh, friends of them. They're not. And uh, hoping to get a win against the Lakers, who have been playing better basketball, and they've been playing better than the Pelicans, and we'll get to that game. I want you to explain to me what occurred over the weekend. Because I saw a team look like garbage on Saturday against a team nipping on their heels for the play-in tournament, and then the team turned right around the next day on a back-to-back, and beat Portland now I know Dame Lillard wasn't involved in that game but uh, why such the juckle and hide over the weekend I think if Willie Green knew the answer to that then this team would be a lot more successful right <laughs> it's been fair. up and That's down um, ever since you know they lost pretty much Zion Williamson a lot more down there's been glimpses right to where they've had some you know nice big wins that have come out of nowhere you know, they had a gigantic win over the Kings, which I know they didn't have De'Aaron Fox, but when you beat another team by 32 points, that's something. I mean, and then they went up to Portland, what was it, about 10 days ago or less, and destroyed them up there on their home court, which is not an easy place to play. So there's been signs, right, where they've been able to do it with, you know, no Zion, other guys struggling. 
And I think in last night's game, or excuse me, a couple nights ago, what was really hopeful was the fact that they didn't just have to rely on their stars, right? Normally it's been Brandon Ingram, Zion, CJ. And earlier in the season, you could count on the role players, but that wasn't the case during the struggles. Well, it seems like of late that you can rely on these guys again. Trey Murphy, ever since he's gotten the starting lineup, has been fantastic. And boy, I mean, 41 points against the Portland Trailblazers, that, that took everybody aback, right? He, he just couldn't miss. And then Herb Jones, he's been playing really well. So suddenly some of these role players, like I said, have really been putting in performances. And it's good to see because their confidence wasn't there. Now it is. So the hope is, right, they can continue to ride that wave. B.I., hopefully he'll be back tonight. I think there's a really good chance he'll play tonight. And so can you ride this wave, right, Raymond? Because you've got, you know, you got to beat the Lakers tonight, but you're on your home court without LeBron. And you've got four easy games after this. Pelicans are set up to where they can still, you know, salvage a season that looked like it was lost just about any other night over the last month or so. You still feel Houston's going to be easy even after seeing what they did to Boston last night? Yeah, I do. Every bad team has that one win every three weeks or so that just kind of inexplicable. And look, Boston's not been playing well. No, they I haven't. I saw them, right, what was it, two, three weeks ago. They were up on the Nets by 20 in the first quarter, and they ended up losing that game. So they haven't been playing well. That's fair. And typically that's what happens. Let's just hope that doesn't happen in those two games at Houston and then back home against uh, the Spurs, who are uh, determined to have Craig Popovich's winning percentage uh, decline sharply as they try to tank for the big French guy. Uh, that's the only thing that I can explain why Greg's still doing what he's doing and still sticking on to coach that team. All right, let's get back to the Pels. What can you tell us about Jose Alvarado? Yeah, unfortunately, Jose, he has a stress reaction. So when when they initially discovered it, he was going to be shelved for pretty much three weeks and then be reevaluated re after that. So the MRI, that's going to determine everything. And I know that's coming up soon. Hopefully it'll show, right, his leg fully healed where there's not going to be any kind of, you know, semi-small cracks in his in the bone in his leg. And if that's the case, then he'll get back on the course soon. But if not, then we may not see him again this season. He's been moving a little bit. I've seen him shooting around, but he's, he's not, you know, he's not allowed to basically run yet. So in practices, so he's basically kind of in that wait and see mode. All right, you mentioned, you kind of hinted at B.I. You saw him shoot around right uh, over the weekend. You expect to maybe see him against the Lakers. Obviously, he's always extra motivated and seems to play better against his former team. So do you expect to see B.I. tonight? And what do you think his minutes are going to look like? I do. I think Brandon has looked really good in his pregame warm-ups over the weekend. Where it honestly surprised some of us that maybe he didn't try and give it a go on for at least Sunday, right? You knew he wasn't going to play in a back-to-back -back after rolling his ankle in back-to-back -back games before he went out. But like I said, his movement looked really good where he was cutting, right? He, he was doing a lot of uh, jumping. And the type of mobility you normally don't see with somebody that's going to miss, you know, extended period of time. So like I said, I, I think he'll be back tonight. And as far as restrictions, I don't think there's going to be many, if any at all. Maybe Willie would prefer to keep, probably keep him around 20, 30 minutes. But look, he's only missed about a week. And usually that's about the cutoff line on to where you really want to start thinking about having any kind of limitations on players. 
We're talking with Ollie Cassell of The Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, uh, it seems like I've asked this question 372 times to you in the last three years. What's the latest update on Zion Williamson? Yeah, that, that that's the one that we wish we could get good news on. We're still honestly waiting for that MRI that says, okay, all good to go, start ramping up, big, big fella. Hasn't happened yet. Hoping it happens later this week, maybe at the end of, or excuse me, at the start of next week. But either way, there's still enough of a time frame to where if he does get that positive news, he'd have enough time, we all think, to ramp up and get in, say, about a handful of regular season games before the playoffs start. Then again, with him retweaking it, right, maybe the Pelicans want to take a little bit extra time. So even if everything's positive, maybe they decide not to bring him back till maybe the very last game of the regular season, if not the playing tournament or the playoffs, because, right, that would give him a lot more rest days and rehab days built in. Fingers crossed, Raymond, because I'm really hoping that, like I said, we get him sometime in April where he can get his feet wet, as we saw at the start of the season. That was very important. Just getting on the court, getting his win, getting his reps with his teammates, because otherwise you're going to be going into a playoffs, right, with, with, with him having not played since basically the start of the brand new year. That's That, that won't be good. Let me play devil's advocate here for a moment. This season looks like the best case scenario is being a playing tournament team. I can't believe I'm saying this. If you're the Pelicans, do you really just want to throw the big fellow out there again and possibly have him re-aggravate the hamstring yet again? Are we getting close to the point of just saying, you know what, uh, we're just going to be a playing tournament team no matter what, so we're just going to kind of shut it down and hope next year everyone can be healthy? You know, they're not there yet. I've talked to enough people to where it's not honestly that much on the fence. It's all, like I said, going to come down to did that hamstring fully heal and they can start ramping up because there's been enough time that's elapsed, right? That's that's the thing. It's not like he injured it two weeks ago and suddenly, you know, you're up against what we're seeing now, right? Just a few weeks left of the season and such. It's been longer than that. And there's, like I said, a real confidence that he can get healthy, get right, and not be put at risk to where when he does come back, if he comes back, that he wouldn't re-injure himself, right? So I know Zion wants to get back on the court badly. I know the Pelicans want him out there as well. But I don't think they think it'd be at any kind of, you know, poses any kind of risk of a major re-injury, right? All right. What does this team need to do? in a very fluid Western Conference, in particular for the play-in tournament. What does this team need to do between now and when we speak next Tuesday, in your opinion, Ollie? Well, first of all, they got to win all those games we basically just rattled off, right? Got to go 5-0 and if you can. If not, nothing worse than 4-1, and because then you've got you know some really tough Western Conference games coming up, a lot of them on the road. Four in a row, then you finish off with the Timberwolves on the road, but no cupcakes in between. So you've got to build up your cushion there. And I'll tell you what, I, mean, I still feel like anything can happen. You look at the West every night, somebody's always losing. There's nobody running away with it. And now there's news that maybe John Morant's season is done. You know, Kevin Durant, LeBron probably won't play until the playoffs. Look, look at Dallas. I mean, Luka and Kyrie didn't play, but even when they've been on the court, they've just struggled, right? So the West is really there for the, you know, the taking. 
get on any kind of hot streak and you're suddenly positioned not just in the playing tournament, you can really legitimately squeeze into five and six. And at first I thought it was far-fetched, but then I started looking at the numbers. Over the last 15, the Pels are seven and eight. And sure, they've had some bad losses in there, but can you imagine if they start bringing that energy for 48 minutes? Suddenly some of those losses probably would have been wins, right? Because they had some close ones, like say up in Toronto and there were a few others. Maybe they don't lose that game to Orlando here at home. So I think if you can just flip that switch and keep it on, and suddenly they do look like they were having fun. I know they had that really bad loss of the Thunder, but in between that, they look good against the Mavericks to me. And then, like I said, the Trailblazers. So if you can suddenly sustain something, I think there's a legitimate chance to honestly finish the season on kind of a high note because everybody else around you is playing 500 ball or worse. I love your optimism. <laughs> wish, I wish we could bottle that and disperse it to the masses. No, I save it for you. <laughs> need that help. <laughs> Ollie, appreciate your time, brother. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud. Absolutely, Raymond. Take care, buddy. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, just a programming reminder. The number one ranked LSU Tigers return to action tonight at Alex Box Stadium when Jay Johnson's team takes on the UNO Privateers. Pre-game begins at 6. First pitch is set for 6.30, and all the action is brought to you here on the game by the following sponsors. Artco Equipment, Arsimo Machine and Supply, Bubba Ostelet, Toyota Ford, Cypress Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, The Bank, and Service Chevrolet Cadillac. So make sure to tune in tonight. Starting at 6, pregame, 6.30 first pitch, UNO at LSU, right here on the game. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast, giving us an update on the Strohs and telling us what he is seeing down there at spring training in Florida. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press and the host of the Meanies Coaches Show talking about Will Wade's introductory press conference. And, of course, Ollie Cassell from the Bird Rights talking the state of the Pels. Ollie is optimistic that the Pels can uh, turn it around and should play Zion, and everything is going to be A-OK. He is not on the same level as Dawson with the threat assessment. Ali is not at 3.7 when it comes to the Pellies. No, no. Not there. Not there. But Ali's a very positive individual. Poll question of the day. Which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? Many of you believe the sky is falling. And uh, some of you even believe that it is time uh, to give up on the team, which I find ludicrous. You're not the Browns. You're not the Redskins slash football team slash commanders. Which Saints free agent loss hurts the most? 45% of you say David Onyemata. 
37% say Caden Ellis. 13% say Marcus Davenport. 5% say Shy Tuttle. Get to some final comments here. B-Rad says Ellis, but they were all expendable. I'm just glad Mr. Injured Reserve, a.k.a. Davenport, is gone. <laughs> Ton on Twitter says, going to say Ellis. Solid player. Easily could have been kept. Huge potential on top of established success. We're turning into the Raiders on defense, and we saw how well Carr did with that kind of defense. Y'all are all doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. Y'all don't trust Mickey. Turning into the Raiders. Trust Mickey. Like, this is the thing. It's it's just trust Mickey. In 20 years, since 2000, more than 20 years, you know how many seasons the New Orleans Saints have won less than seven games? Once. And that's when Hurricane Katrina devastated the state. That's the only year, guys. The only year. Every other year, they win at least seven games. So even when the Saints are bad, by their standards, they're still better than half the league. They're still in contention for playoff spots. Once again, they had hot, wet, garbage quarterback play the last couple of years and a slew of injuries, and they still merely made the playoffs back-to-back years. The sky is not falling. Trust Mickey Loomis. He will find a way. He always does. For the producer, I'm going to say it, extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D'Lo, a.k.a. the new guy. I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next.